Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 154. Today is our book club episode, and we're so excited to be talking holiday books with you today. Our book club for this month is Christina Lauren's In a Holidays. So we are going to discuss that book. It's going to be a little bit different than our normal book club picks. We're just going to talk about it briefly, and then we're going to give you some other holiday suggestions. Before we do that, we wanted to just say thank you for everyone who's giving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We received a rating last week that we wanted to highlight, and the rating says, fun book talk. I have so much fun listening to these three share books and teaching tidbits. My TBR is growing. And we just love hearing those, and we appreciate them so much. And if you want a really fast, easy, super cheap way to support the podcast, going to Apple Podcasts and rating and reviewing and subscribing to the podcast is so beneficial to us and doesn't take much to do. So we would love it if you all would just keep those coming in. Before we start talking about in a holidays, we're going to start the way we always start with our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? I am so excited this week to start Nick Stone's Dear Justice. I had a rare moment to get to see Jen in person very briefly, and she passed that one on to me. And so thank you, Jen. And I am just thrilled to to read this one. We've all talked a lot about how much we love Dear Martin, both – I love the story, and also I think it is great for the classroom. I think Nick Stone knows her audience and can speak to kids in a way that resonates with them. And so I'm thrilled to see Dear Justice. And I've only read the very beginning, but again, this is a tribute to Nick Stone as a person. Jen shared before that she's a great activist also. And at the beginning of the book, she talks about some a couple of boys she knows in real life who were looking for a different story to be told. And they just shared with her about how they loved Dear Martin, but they didn't relate a lot to justice. They didn't relate to somebody who is a star student and who has all these opportunities and who's going to college and has the world opening up for him. And so I just loved that, that she up front for the reader explains her motivation for writing Dear Justice. And Jen shared about this one before, so I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot on it, but it does look at Quan, who is a secondary character in Dear Martin, and it is his story, and he is writing to Justice. And I, the opening scene just shows the two of them on a playground, and I really love that beginning because, like I said, I think that we can we see her motivation with the way that she opens the book by explaining why she's writing the story but then also we start to see what justice and quan do have in common 
in this kind of vulnerable moment that they share as pretty young kids on a playground. And so I just think it's really, I'm looking forward to the story. And I, I just really admire her. I admire her as a writer. I admire the work that she's doing in the world. And so I'm thrilled to read. I'm thrilled this book is out there and I'm thrilled to read it. So again, that's Nick Stone's Dear Justice. That one's still on my TBR. <laughs> we can pass Jen, it along to you next. Yeah. Oh, yay. <laughs> Jen, what are you reading? So I am diving into a backlist book. I, at the beginning of the year, I signed up for the 20 backlist in 2020 challenge, and I have not been doing very well. So I have resolved that I'm going to make it through that stack of 20 books before the end of the year. So this one is Muriel Barberry's The Elegance of the Hedgehog. And one of my dear friends who I used to teach with loves to pass books along to me. And this is one that she gave me as a gift, actually. And it is translated from the French. It is about Renee, who is the concierge of an extremely luxurious, they call it a hotel, but, you know, the people live there. And so people own like a whole floor and it's, it's, they are just in the absolute upper class and Renee is not. And Renee is very aware of her position in relation to them and the way that they feel about her. And she is absolutely brilliant. She reads all the time. She reads philosophy. She reads nonfiction. She reads film theory, but she hides it very deliberately from these people. She plays into their stereotypes about her and just has this wicked sense of humor. And so she's constantly in her head making fun of them, but putting on this this mask as if she is not educated and she's not formally educated, but she has definitely educated herself. So that's one of the protagonists. The other is Paloma, who is a 12 year old girl who is also very brilliant. She does not feel like her family, her parents and her older sister understand her at all. And she has decided that when she turns 13, she is going to kill herself and she is going to burn down the apartment. And so she is just, yeah, it's, it's really, so she is just passing time until then. And she, her story is shared through her journal. So you get Renee's first person narration and it's mostly her thoughts. And then you get Paloma's journal and it's, it goes back and forth and there's not a whole lot of interaction yet. I know because of the book jacket that they eventually do interact and, that there's a friendship there. And I am very much looking forward to that because while there's a lot of humor, both with Renee and with Paloma, you know, like your all's reactions say a lot. I mean, it's, there's a lot of darkness there as well. So I, I'm ready for the hopeful part to hit. (laughs) So how about you, Sarah, what are you reading? So I'm going to cheat just a bit because I just finished Ruman alums, leave the world behind. And I haven't really started anything else. So I started this one. It was an ALC from Libro FM. So thanks to them for letting me have that audio. And I will say the audio is fantastic. Uh, This Jen talked about it a few episodes ago. This is a story about a family, Amanda and Clay, and their two kids who have rented a vacation home, like an, it it reminded me of like maybe an Airbnb uh, on Long Island to just get away. 
and they are they are in there enjoying themselves and so there's a knock at the door and there is a couple there and they say they basically they reveal that they are the owners of the home and that they had been at the opera and there had been this basically electrical grid failure and blackout in the city and they drove to their vacation home and so Basically, there's a lot of like awkwardness and they come in and just they decide to let them that they are going to stay there. But I think what this book, this book is about, it's really difficult to describe, but it's about a lot of things. But what it does so well is it creates all of this really horrifying tension. And the whole time as the reader you have this tension, but you don't really know what's going on. Neither do the people in the story, but the author does this really awesome job of switching perspectives. So you get everybody who's in the house, you get snippets of their perspective, but then there's also this omniscient narrator that will sometimes tell you something that nobody knows except you. And it is just, I mean, it is terrifying. It is really, I think the thing that terrified me the most is it feels like it's something that could happen. And I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it's just very, there are some disturbing parts that happen. And the author just does an excellent job of building this narrative tension and this really horrible sense of dread. And I can tell you, after I finished it, I was like, probably shouldn't have read that right now. <laughs> I thought, I mean, I could not stop. I, I texted Jen and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot stop listening. Like I had my earbuds in because I just had to know what was going on. But then after I finished it, I was like, probably not the best choice for my... <laughs> you know, during this time period that where we're like stuck in our homes and all of that. And so it was very good. The writing is fantastic. But if you are feeling like you don't want something heavy, I would not I would wait a bit for this book. But it was really good. I mean, I'm glad I read it. But it was just, it was very disturbing. And I continue to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be one of my favorites of favorites of the year. Even though it was all of the things you said, I just, it blew me away. So, yeah. I'm totally intrigued now. I know. The audio was, the narrator was fantastic, mm -hmm. I thought. Did you read it? Or, I read, or did you, I, you read the print. Yeah. Okay. That's why yeah. I have the ALC too, and I'm definitely intrigued. And it actually was pretty short. It's only like yeah. seven hours or so when the, I mean, so the author does this group, it's both like it's only a short period of time that the story is told within, but you feel like it's like weeks. And every time they remind you that it's only like been like 48 hours or 24 hours, it's just like all this stuff has happened. And you feel like you really know these, the essence of these people. And I don't know, it's just, it's good, but really, really creepy and really really scary. The time stuff is like our lives right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is where I, I think, thought when I you said that, Sarah, I was like, I totally get that about the <laughs> elasticity of time and how bizarre it can feel. Yeah. And I think that's probably why it affected me like it did. I mean, it made me so, it almost made me like feel really melancholy and like, what's going to, what's happening? I mean, I'm like, is this the big, am I living, the, going to be living this? And I mean, I think all of that <laughs> it contributed to anxiety, but also like made it really feel 
like near future type mm -hmm. stuff. So, so I don't know. <laughs> you, you'll have to decide for yourself if that's one you want to read. <laughs> I don't think there's an easy way to transition to in a holiday. So I'm just going to plow forward. <laughs> So, <laughs> listeners so before we started you know it's it's heavy times this this part of the season and we kept trying to switch over to get ready to record and it was difficult to, <laughs> to, to segue into holiday chit chat so mm -hmm. <laughs> okay so uh, before we get started with our discussion we i'm going to give just a brief sum summary so what we are discussing today is christina lawrence in a holidays it is a perfect holiday rom-com with a fun, engaging premise. Maylin Jones is relishing her holiday tradition of vacationing with her family and friends in a cabin in Utah. But now she finds herself st stuck in a Groundhog Day-like loop. Maylin lives her Christmas vacation over and over again, searching desperately to get things right, to save her holiday traditions, and to maybe find love while she's at it. So for this portion, we are going to do an abbreviated version of our normal book club chat. We're going to do overall impressions, what worked for us, and then we're going to give our bookish hearts. So let's start with overall impressions. Jen, what is your overall impression of this one? I really, really love this one. I read it at a time that I desperately needed a comfort read and a light read, which I mean, that's been all year really, but 2020, <laughs> but I will say my need for a comfort read was heightened. And so even though it is pretty early, I don't put up my Christmas tree until after Thanksgiving holiday. So after we get back that week, but yeah, I just really loved it. I thought I love a groundhog day trope. And so when I initially, I, I got this one from NetGalley originally, when I saw that it was by Christina Lauren, number one, they are auto buy for me. And then when I saw that it was a groundhog day trope, I know they're very, very shocked, Shock pretending to be shocked that they're not a buy. They're about auto buy authors for me. Sarah just made a perfect emoji face that you all missed, listeners. So sorry for that, but it was the it's the one we'll start making whenever yep. Jen says an auto buy author. That'll be in our show notes too. No. Okay, so but yeah, so I really like their work generally. And I like a Groundhog Day premise. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And I really liked the emphasis on family and friends and the way they were an integral part of the story. I think you don't always get that with a romance. So often it's just focused on the two romantic leads and the people that you know are going to end up together. But for this one, there were there was a larger group of secondary characters, which I really appreciated. Ashley, how about you? What were your overall impressions? I know this is what this is not a genre that you typically partake in. Yeah, that I liked it. I I did not love it. I liked it. I I think I I've realized I don't particularly love the Groundhog Day thing. So that was a factor for me that once it got to the part where it wasn't restarting constantly, I enjoyed it a lot more. So I think in general, and I, I mean, I like sci-fi plays on that a lot too. Mm -hmm. And I'll struggle with that in sci-fi shows or books where they are time traveling. And because of that, you're having to re they're kind of redoing time. So even though this one wasn't the time travel component, exactly, you know, it was more like a magical phenomenon than mm -hmm. than a time machine but same idea that i have to kind of work through that and so i thought it was 
interesting in the way that it developed the story, but I kind of got stuck on that in the beginning. But I did love, like Jen said, I loved the secondary characters and I loved seeing that May, even though she was in her 20s, does not have it all figured out and that she looks to older people and to their advice. I loved her relationship with Benny. Mm -hmm. I thought his character was great in the way that she could trust him in all the iterations of what happened, the way that she could trust him and knew that he would advise her. And so like that all really worked for me. And I also liked how Christina Lauren worked through the how they were working through the dynamics of divorce and how that plays into groups and how there are ways to move forward with that, even if those ways are challenging. And so like, I, I really liked all of that. So yeah, I mean, I think I did enjoy it. And I enjoyed it more the more the story progressed. And for sure, I appreciated the levity of it. And all of that part really worked well for me. I shared a little while ago that I had just done Jenny Han's The Summer I Turned Pretty series. And I loved that. But it was also Brothers. And so like mm-hmm. some of that felt very similar. So I think that probably affected my enjoyment at the beginning also. But like I said, I really came around to I, I loved her character. And I really loved Andrew's character. And the way that he evolved in the story, I thought all of that was really rich. So so yeah, I think that's probably my overall. What about you, Sarah? What was your overall impression? It's no secret that I love this. I love reading holiday reads and I actually had never read a Christina Lauren book. And when I saw this on NetGalley, so that's how I read it as well, Jen. And I, I just really liked it. I thought the characters were really well drawn and I love like for me, the holidays mean like family and friends and like being together which is maybe I'll cry during this episode because it feels really (laughs) Mm -hmm. hard this year. But I mean, but that like them all being together in a cabin and, you know, and like the tradition, like to me also holiday and my family, the holidays mean all this tradition and that is what I love. And so I, that is, I really thought that that was well done. And Mm -hmm. I liked the way that they had all been friends since college and they'd made things work even when times were rough and, People, you know, like when May's parents got divorced, they were able to make it work and they make it work every year, even though they're divorced. And I really, I really appreciated that. So, so all the things you said, you both said, and that my my little two cents at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I do feel like what worked for us, we did talk about that, Mm. but let's, so let's just say the one thing, like, let's just pick one thing. If it can be small or big, but just like one thing that really worked for us. And that when we were reading, we were like, I just like that thing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Ashley, do you want to start this one since Jen started last time? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I can start if you want. Yeah, you start, Jen. (laughs) Okay, you start, Jen. So I will hit on the Groundhog Day trope again. I think the thing I like about that is every day of my life, there's something I wish I could do over. And of course, we never have that chance. So I love that idea that she has this hope that she can fix the things that she regrets but also that, and you see this in the movie Groundhog Day too, that it becomes more than just a, oh, I need to correct this, that, this, that, this, that. It becomes genuine growth eventually. And so it's like, at first she's looking for easy fixes. And then eventually she realizes that a more genuine change is required. And so I think that's what I like, because that almost always happens in a Groundhog Day trope. And that's the part of that that I appreciate. 
How about you, Ashley? Have you thought of one? Yeah, I think that I really liked the way that in order to work things out, May had to really examine what they were doing and why they were doing it. And I think that part was really cool. So I also really appreciate traditions, but I think that the way that she has to work through which ones to hold on to and which ones to change so that they can have joy in them is really interesting. So yeah, I think all of that examination worked really well for me. And I said before about Benny, but I I definitely liked May's relationship with Benny a lot and thought that that was a really strong part of the book. What about you, Sarah? What was the thing that worked best for you? So I'm going to talk talk about something that just made me giggle throughout the whole book. So Aaron is uh, Malin's dad's college roommate and his husband, Kyle, and they their two kids are there. But Aaron is having like this midlife crisis. And I, so number one, I'm 41 and I can relate to that age, like just feeling like things are not as as limber as they used to be. And like, it's hard to like, I mean, cause I like exercise and fitness and like just realizing that I have limitations that I, even in my mind, I can feel like I can do the things that I did when I was 22. I can't. And so like, I just really, I just really related to Aaron and then also like all of the stuff that he was wearing and like trying to, when they're doing, doing the activities and like he's dressed in like trendy clothes and everybody's just like, what are you doing? Cause it's just us, you know, but he's just like, he is just going hard for, <laughs> I'm not aging. And I just really, I related to it, but I also thought it was so funny. And I loved just the way that the authors described his, what he was wearing and like just his whole mindset. And so I just really thought that was, it was relatable, but also really gave some comic relief and I really like that yeah the whole black hole hair stuff yeah. was, was hilarious how, but also like how they all just love him and they're yes. like if that's what he needs to do that's what he's gonna do and his husband does that I mean they all are just like okay they just accept it and I just thought it was all really sweet and I liked it a lot can I say when I get yes I'm sorry I'm yes, just I'll say, allow it thank you Theo too is I really liked the way that relationship developed. So Theo is Andrew's younger brother and he and Maylin are the same age. And so they've always sort of been paired off. And there is a misunderstanding at the beginning of the book that puts their friendship in jeopardy. And so there is sort of a love triangle thing going on, but only sort of. And I thought that it was really nice again to see that friendship. That was something else she had to work through. And There were some pretty fun. When you said that you giggled, there were some funny moments between them that I I can definitely see this being made into a movie. Oh my gosh. That would be really priceless. So, yeah. You know, I'll be the first one to see that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, let's talk about our bookish hearts. Ashley, do you want to give your bookish hearts first? <laughs> I, well, I feel like my, I already expressed my unpopular opinion that I only moderately, only moderately liked it. No, but I, I did enjoy it. I would give it three bookish hearts. How about you, Jen? I would give it four. So I think I actually have liked some of their other books better, but I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, that's a pretty solid rating for me. What about you, Sarah? Yep, that's fine. Four. I really enjoyed it. It was what I wanted it to be. 
and I liked it a lot. And I think four is good. <laughs> so, can we talk about how cool it is that they are two women who write together? And I, I think that. that would be the most fun thing ever to do with your friend. So, yes, yeah, I- rom com coming from us. <laughs> Not really. We're not writing a rom-com. I, did, I sent it to my sisters, but you know, oh, I bought it and sent it to my sister because she needs some holiday reading. And I thought that it was, I thought like, I thought in the genre, it was really good for, yeah. but mm-hmm. that, for the holiday story. Like I felt like it had a little bit more than some of the other ones I read. I just thought that this had, I mean, it had more humor and it had, I don't know. I just thought it had a little bit more. All right. So before we end, we thought we would each give a, an, a recommendation for a holiday book that you might want to read after you read in the holidays, or just to give you some other holiday reading ideas. And we will also be having kind of a long list of a holiday reading guide for you to peruse as well, because we, we've actually read several in the last few years for the podcast. Since we've had the podcast, we've done a holiday book. And then some of us <laughs> read a pretty prolifically in terms of holiday reads. So I think maybe everyone is like, um, not actually. <laughs> I read All them for this. I read them for this. <laughs> but on the holiday reading guide, we also are going to have some winter books. It's not going to be just strictly, you know, Christmas or or holiday related. It's going to also be some winter themed books too. So, Jen, what is your recommended holiday? I see it written down, and this is on my list. But yes, <laughs> but oh my what, gosh, you're going to love your, it. What's so your this is. Sarah Morgenthaler's Mistletoe and Mr. Wright. This is the sequel to The Tourist Attraction. And I found Morgenthaler, again, these were NetGalley reads, both of them for me, but also the Chicklet Book Club on Instagram has been doing buddy reads and Morgenthaler has been wonderful and has done Zoom calls with the group. She is such a kind person and just really willing to reach out and talk to readers. So Mistletoe and Mr. Wright, the sequel to The Tourist Attraction, both take place in this little town in Alaska called Moose Springs. And it very much has like Gilmore Girls vibes. It's this quirky little town. In the first book, there's a moose named Ulysses, who everybody knows, who is like crazy about the cinnamon rolls that are made in the local bakery. And the characters are sweet and quirky. And and I would say these are more closed door romances. So... Yeah, if you don't like steam, they're not overly steamy, but there is some steam. So Mistletoe and Mr. Wright continues with some characters who appeared in the first book. Lana is this really wealthy woman who has bought most of the property in the town. And her goal is to save the town. But there are a lot of local townspeople who very much object to this outsider coming in and trying to build up the tourism industry in order to save the town. They want to be able to save the town themselves. So there's there's really interesting interplay between Lana and the local businesses. And she sort of considers herself a local, but the locals don't. And so that, that whole debate at the center of the story, I think is really interesting. And her love interest in the book is Rick who is the owner of one of those local businesses. He's the owner of a pool hall that is not doing well at all. He and his wife divorced, I think it's been a couple of years. It's been a little while since I read the book, but I think it's been a couple of years. He has not dated at all since their divorce. He is pretty lonely. He lives with his nephew, who is actually the biological nephew of his wife 
and he was orphaned. And so Rick didn't want him to be alone and took him in. And the nephew works at the big resort where Lana stays. So there are all of these like interconnections that you see building. So it's one of those series that you start feeling like, you know, the secondary characters. And so then it was great after book one to see those secondary characters get their own story. Her third book I saw is going to be published in January. And it's about another character who we've come to know through books one and two. And she just has a great sense of humor. There's more moose subplot in this one. There's a moose who hates Christmas decorations and goes around town destroying them. And so Lana becomes involved in this plot that she's going to try to capture the moose that hates the crime. I mean, so it's just this kind of, again, quirky is the word that keeps coming to mind. It's quirky and warm and ultimately really sweet rom-com that is about the romance, but is also just about these people in this town and what it means to be someone's friend. And there are people she becomes friends with who violently disagree with her, but you see them work through that. So it just, yeah, there are a lot of nice messages at the heart of the series. So I can't wait for book three. But yeah, again, that is Sarah Morgenthaler's Mistletoe and Mr. Wright. You could read that one first. I would recommend reading The Tourist Attraction first. And that one, I mean, it's set in Alaska. So I guess it's always a winter book. But Mistletoe and Mr. Wright technically is a holiday read. So what about you, Ashley? What is your pick? So I shared this one on a bookish check-in not long ago, and I loved it and will definitely be reading more in this series. I wanted to recommend Karina Young-Glosser's The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street. And so the Vanderbeekers are a family of, there are five children, two, the two oldest are twins, and then they have, uh, there's one boy and then two younger children, the youngest of which is is quite young. She's still a toddler. It's this family, the five of them and their parents live and they rent an apartment in a brownstone in Harlem. And so they've lived there their whole lives. They love their brownstone. And yet they have been notified their, their landlord, Mr. Biederman, lives at the top of the brownstone house and they've been notified by him that their lease will not be renewed at the end of the year. So it's December already close to the holidays in December when they find this out. And so on January 1st, their lease is up and they are distressed about that. And so the children have their own plots and plans for what they can do to prevent this from happening. And so there it's a very sweet family. The sibling relationships are really sweet and the parents are really great with them. So I loved all of that. I really loved the way the family dynamics work in the book. And I also appreciated the way that the kids take this initiative, but also don't always know, know the best pathway to take to try to change things and keep things from happening. And so I, I could appreciate all of that, the way that they were like, well, if we do this thing, then that's going to cause him to realize that we're, you know, great tenants and that we should get to stay and that that doesn't always play out the way that the kids plan. And so, you know, I think that it was a great story. I really loved the family. Interestingly, so there are all these sketches in the book, largely like floor plans, or you see a lot of the brownstone building itself. And 
on Instagram, someone was telling me that she just did that. She had a sketch somewhere and the publishers loved it so much that they had her incorporate it throughout the book. And so that was really cool. So, so I thought that was really sweet too. And I, like I said, I think that it has all the holiday feel. You get to celebrate Christmas with them and experience all of that. And they have a great community who, of course, are all devastated that they'll be moving, but they are really connected to their community. So all of that feel like it just has a really great holiday feel. But an, aside from that part, it's also just about a sweet family that's trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And they're, you know, steady packing up everywhere and there's boxes everywhere and the kids are trying to figure out what to do. And the parents are trying to manage that stress and, and yet continue to have a happy and normal holiday as much as they can, you know, have continuity. And so all of that resonated also kind of what you were saying, Sarah, about, you know, with 2020, I mean, it just, that things aren't always what we want them to be and how do we find our way and continue to enjoy things together as a family, even when they're not the way that we want it to be. So I loved it. And I will definitely be reading more of them. And I also look forward to I think these are, you know, solidly middle, middle grade, they really can be they're appropriate content wise for upper elementary. So I look forward to reading them with my girls too, because I think it's just a really sweet story. And I can see that it's the kind of series it reminds me, I think it would be a good recommendation for our cozy reads also, Mm -hmm. because it's that same what we were looking for when we talked about our cozy read choices, just that you have a sense of the community, you're getting to know them. There's a lot of atmosphere and character development. And so I look forward to reading more of the family. So again, that is Karina Von Glosser's The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street. And that was the debut, but there is a series. I really want to read those. It's, it's great. I mean, I, I just absolutely loved them. And I, I love it. Like, I think a lot of times when there were a lot of siblings, I feel like I knew all the siblings. You know what I mean? Mm, and I liked mm-hmm. that, too, that I had a good sense of each kid and what they're like and their personality. And I like that part also, because I think a lot of times when there's a lot of children in a book, you often are focused on just one of them. And this yeah. one there's a good distribution of, of each kid's personality and unique things about them. And yeah, I loved it. That's That's awesome. Cool. What about you, Sarah? What's your recommendation? So mine is one by Jenny Bayless. And this also came from NetGalley and the publisher. The publisher is Putnam. And I, I really love it. It's called The 12 Dates of Christmas. Oh, I looked at this one. Yes. So I, so first of all, I think I've said on the podcast before, I love books set in, in England or like with British characters. I just really like that. And so this one is set in Britain. It is a place called Blexford, England. And it is like this teeny little like town with like a cafe. I don't know. It is just, it is like everything I want. And every time I read these (laughs) books or like watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, my husband is, I'll be, I'll be like, Oh, I think I would like to go walk around a Christmas village. And David is my husband. David is just, he's always like, I don't know where you want me to find these things. But every time (laughs) I read them, I just, I, you know, it just has this total atmosphere and I love it. And uh, so it it's snowy and it's great. So anyway, the main character is Kate and she is a 34-year-old. She does not have a partner and 
so her best friend, Laura, convinces her to sign up for this thing that a local company is running, which was is called the 12 Dates of Christmas. So it's a, it's 12 different dates with 12 different men. And so she's trying to find someone to share her life with. And she's kind of, she's definitely content being alone and but her friend really just keeps pushing her to do it so she does it and so she goes on these dates some of them are disastrous some of them are slightly successful but then there's this other person that might have been under her nose the whole time and it's just it's a great story it's super easy reading all the characters are lovely and there's all of this great banter between her and a local coffee shop owner and but you also get some kind of like what you all were saying you get some backstory and there's a lot of really awesome secondary characters and you get to know her dad and again like it's set in this English village so it's really quaint and I don't know I just love the community like how they all like stick together for each other and do do for each other. It's just, I think it's in these times, I know we keep referencing that, but I just think it's like this bandaid on your heart, you know, because you get to see all these people just being so lovely and kind to each other. And I think sometimes it's hard to see that right now. And I just like, I like reading about it. And so it's, it's just really uplifting and it's romantic and it's funny. So I think it's a great choice for this holiday and it's brand new, but it's, I was looking online and I think it's only about 12 bucks because it's out in paperback. So it's not super expensive. And I definitely think that it is a great read for this holiday season of 2020. So that is the 12 dates of Christmas by Jenny Bayless. That sounds really good. That's on my list. Yeah, it's really good. I I don't know, like some of these that we've been talking about, I think that they are just a little bit above like what I normally read during this time of year because of the humor and just kind of like this one I would say is like a little bit cheeky. Like I just really, and she, the character Kate in the 12 Days of Christmas, she her job is she designs fabric and wallpaper. And I just think of like, it's just all this really interesting mm-hmm. stuff. So there's a lot of about her being, having this career too. So I don't know. I just really like it. I love the word <laughs> cheeky. Cheeky. <laughs> <sighs> I watched the Great British Bake Off, which uh-huh. I'm probably surprised no one. They use that word. So, mm. <laughs> all right. We are going to end today with a give me one. And we are going to go with give me one holiday song that makes you cringe. <laughs> Ashley, do you want to start? <laughs> sure. I I don't even know why I feel this way about this one, but the one that came to my mind when this topic came up is Jingle Bell Rock, and it just has rubbed me the wrong way here here lately. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I I don't have any reason for the animosity, but that is one I'm a little worn out on. So, how about you, Jen? So I do have a reason for mine. So mine is Frosty the Snowman, and I have nothing actually against that song in particular. But each of my boys at separate times went through a stage when they were very small that that was all they wanted to listen to on the way to my taking them to daycare and then me going to work, which is about a 20 couple minute drive. And let me tell you, you can play Frosty the Snowman a lot of times in 20 minutes on the way to daycare 
and on the way home from daycare. And yes, I know that I could have put my foot down and said I wasn't going to play it anymore. But you know, there are some battles that I just did not feel like fighting. That was one. So Frosty the Snowman, <laughs> yeah, has lodged itself in my brain in a way that I just don't need to listen to it anymore for a good long while. And I should say my boys are now 13 and 10. So it's been a long time. And still, I'm a little scarred. So. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? Well, I unequivocally hate this song. And it is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. It is everything that a holiday song should not be. And my grandmother, <laughs> my grandmother, uh, whom I love with all my heart, she used to play it to torture me. And like she would say, she knows all the words and she would also sing it acapella style. And I just do not like it because I think it's horrible. Holiday songs are supposed to be uplifting and that song is not. So. I will say I, when, as soon as you said that one, that that is a good candidate. I hate that one. Yeah. Every song. time it comes on, I turn the channel. I turn the station because I don't. I'm not listening to that. That's not very Christmassy <laughs> or holiday-ish. Shame on them. <laughs> the lyrics are terrible. Anyway, <laughs> you know how I feel about my holiday fair, and that is not a good one. I'm having love actually flashbacks here, people. <laughs> when you said that's not supposed to be a holiday song I was like this seems like a refrain from something I've heard you say before well on that note we hope that you've enjoyed listening to us talk about some things for the some reading for the holidays and then our cringy songs we would love to know your cringy songs too because there I think all of us have some of those holiday songs that we just are over and we'd love for you to let us know on social media. Again, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to support us. We love that. We might read your review on, on air. So definitely think about doing that for us and we hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.